3: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
2: Welcome back into
0: the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are on to the second week of December here in 2023, working our way towards a Peach Bowl matchup between the Penn State Nittany Lions, ranked 10th in the final college football playoff rankings against... Ole Miss Rebels ranked 11th, both of those teams searching for their 11th victory. We did actually have a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl press conference take place on Monday morning in Beaver Stadium. We'll dive into that a little bit with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. We'll also talk about some players to monitor on the practice field as Penn State gets ready to begin its Preparation on the field, uh, and we're going to get a chance to see some practice action on Friday. We'll review players on offense and on defense who stand to make a strong impression here with the final weeks of work before this team plays its 13th matchup. But first, we begin with an addition for the 2024 Nittany Lions roster. We're just about a week away from the early signing period in college football, and we'll see a couple dozen high school seniors put pen to paper and firm up their plans with the Nittany Lions. But as we covered in our most recent episode of this podcast, the transfer portal period is open and upon us in a significant way in Penn State claiming its first commitment out of this portal cycle in the form of Division II offensive tackle Alan Heron. It's a name that we covered in the past here on the show with Tyler Calvaruso. We'll do that right now once again. Tyler, welcome back into the podcast, and I know you've been a busy man. We've been waiting for that first committed name to surface, and it seemed like heading into last weekend with Alan Heron coming to Happy Valley that this was a guy, a name in play to be that first pickup.
4: Yeah, he was one of the first targets to emerge for Penn State, really in portal season overall, given when his offer went out. He was one of those early entrants into the portal as a Division II guy. You know, those guys could officially get their name out there and in the portal a little bit earlier. And there were a lot of schools in on him. You know, he received, I believe it was 20 plus offers throughout the course of his brief portal recruitment Penn State wasn't one of the first, but when it did jump in, it was one that was caught his eye pretty quickly. And the Nittany Lions get him to campus for an official visit after he made it to Texas Tech the previous weekend. Clemson was on the docket for Allen Heron this upcoming weekend. He was supposed to make it down there for an official visit, but when he gets to Penn State, things just go well between him and offensive line coach Phil Charwin, and he feels so at home where he feels the need to bring an end to his portal recruitment and commit to the Nittany Lions. This is it was definitely a big win for Penn State on the timing front, because I had conversations with people who indicated that Clemson felt really good about where he was at with Heron, and it felt like that official visit could have been closing time for the staff down there, and, you know, Penn State obviously got this done in a manner to where he won't be making it to that Clemson official visit, so that's a pretty big aspect of this, in my opinion, and then you have Heron as a player. You know, he played in a Division II program where, I mean, the competition was what it was. You know, he was oftentimes – the biggest player on the field by a pretty significant margin at that. And that allowed him to dominate, but the athleticism is there. The upside is there. The general consensus, you know, seems to be that this is a, an upside play for Penn state. You know, he might not necessarily be a plug and play guy, but that's perfectly fine. That wasn't a deterrent for any program involved in him. Parents portal recruitment. It definitely wasn't a deterrent for Penn State. He has three years to play too, and he's going to be getting to campus in January. He's going to be enrolling for that spring semester, so that's a big deal. He's going to be able to get to work with Chuck Losey early on, and yeah, you know, he's 6'5", 3'10. The wingspan's where it needs to be. I've had people mention NFL draft potential if he gets coached up correctly. Penn State's pretty confident in its ability to do so. So that's kind of covering all of the bases on this get. And obviously, you know, it's uh, it's key get. For just the overall offensive line equation when it comes to 2024, you know, there are spots up for grabs. You know, guys either not coming back or off to the NFL. There are young guys in the room. There's a lot of talent in the room. The majority of it it seems to be young at this point. So you add Heron into the mix, another high upside guy who, you know, maybe he gets to campus and he comes along quick, even quicker than a lot of people think he will. That's not, you know, out of the cards either. But overall, this is a really quality get for Penn State out of the port. I think it kicked off portal season in a pretty
0: impressive manner. And remember, these roster additions are about to happen in, in a month. Just next next month, we're going to see these guys make the move. Luke Reynolds, the nation's number one tight end prospect, was on with us a couple episodes ago. He's going to be part of those freshmen showing up to campus. And now here is uh, Heron, the first confirmed transfer that will be joining the team in January. Remember, we also have seen transfers join the program in past years in May, uh, come summer, and, and you know, Chop Robinson is a guy who wasn't on campus for spring ball. Certainly didn't stop him from making an impact. Dante Cephas wasn't on campus this year for spring ball. You wonder what maybe his first year on campus might have looked like if he had those 15 practice sessions under his belt before he got to the summer. Uh, In the case of Heron, as you addressed, offensive tackle is an area that they're going to add to from the freshman class, but not necessarily with guys that we think are going to be ready for Big Ten ball in 2024. So what do you have coming back? The big question there is whether Caden Wallace takes that sixth year with that covid eligibility if he does then all of a sudden your your problem a potential problem is solved that right tackle you've got a guy with 4 years of experience there coming off easily his best year of experience if kaden wallace says i'm off to the nfl i'm going to try to make some money and, uh, and and make my name in professional football then you're without your two starting tackles from the last couple of seasons cuz olu fashinu I don't think a miracle is coming for Penn State to keep him here at left tackle. So he moves on, and you've got Drew Shelton with starting experience on the left side. More than 300 total snaps accrued between the right and left side for him this year. You factor in hair, and it feels like at the least here, Tyler, considering the investment of a scholarship and and the, the aggressive pursuit by Penn State, You'd like him to be a two-deep factor when you close up shop next August. Do You want him to be, I think, in that conversation. If he's not a starter, he's a guy that you feel like can step in and play Power 5 football for you come next September. And We have seen a little bit of a different process for, for guys who have come in after a couple of years of college experience. J.B. Nelson comes to mind. He was a starter this year, but last year they kept him under five games. He took a red shirt. So it is worth noting, as you said, three years to play those two seasons – But in my mind, even if Javen Williams and Chimdi Ono take steps forward and one or both of those guys is ready to hit the practice field next August as a starting caliber contender, that still leaves you, I think, a couple names short, a couple bodies short. So one of them I think you fill in with Alan Heron. Uh, J.B. Nelson may be a name to know because he has tackle experience at the junior college level. That is something that he has still gotten some, some work at. Uh, though secondarily, because his focus has been on guard, so as we monitor things here, does that leave room for another addition at the offensive tackle spot if Penn State can right the f- find the right fit? And in that instance, do you think there'll be more of a priority on getting the guy who is ready for the short short term rather than what seems like a multi year investment with Allen Heron, who comes from that Division two level at shorter college, a shorter university down in
4: Georgia? You know, a more experienced tackle would kind of be the point of emphasis if Penn State does go on to make another addition at the position. And it's definitely possible. You know, they're still in the mix with Chase Besant. This is Texas A&M transfer who started 12 games. Yeah, I believe it was 12 games at, guess what, right tackle for A&M. And he was a highly impactful player while doing so. You know, he was definitely not a turnstile on that Texas A&M offensive line. He was a freshman All-American. That kid can play. And, you know, there's a reason why his portal recruitment is as hot as it has been since he got in there. I mean, every program that needs an offensive lineman, just pretty much every program in the nation, is on him. Penn State's one of them. You know, Penn State has that in with Troutland and Bessantis' relationship, relationship going back to when he was at Don Bosco in North Jersey. I mean, those two like each other. Bessantis is fond of him. So that's a plus for Penn State. But, again, it's a highly competitive recruitment. But the, let's be clear, you know, Alan Heron being committed does not take Penn State out of that pursuit or any other pursuit. For that matter, you know, they're definitely evaluating and exploring other opportunities, your potential opportunities on the offensive line as well. We're going to have to see what comes about on that front. But just is the name that has been generating the buzz really since he hit the portal. You know, we already mentioned the previous ties and just the overall talent level. If you, if you can add a guy like that, to your offensive line depth chart. I mean, he's an instant plug-and-play guy, and he kind of completely changes the conversation surrounding Penn State's offensive line in 2024 if they were to get him because you have a not only just a right tackle that you're really confident in, he has a track record going out and producing. When it comes to getting guys out of the portal, if a guy can produce at a high level in a Power 5 program, you really can't beat that.
0: This time of year, also, uh, I feel like because of the transfer portal and the urgency that shows up, and, and the and the importance of previous relationships, mm-hmm. what kind of a uh, what kind of reputation has Phil Tratwine developed at Penn State at this point? I know you got into got into the beat here a, a little bit into the process, but you got in at the right time in terms of his trajectory because last year, um, big step forward for the offensive line on the field. They bring in a a, a big class with highly rated players, including a five star last winter, Um, and now here we are they're about to bring in another large class figuratively and literally they're getting early success for a guy who was pretty coveted about to make the jump up to power five football and Heron it just seems like filled for Penn State generally they're getting more of what they desire out there from offensive line pursuits than they probably had in the past
4: I think you're kind of reached the point of Trout win's tenure at Penn State where the guys in the offensive line room are exactly what he is looking for in terms of, you know, body type, skill set, athleticism, upside. I feel like he's gotten to the point in his recruiting where, you know, he's kind of been let loose on the trail. If he likes a guy, he's got full green light to go and get him. And, I mean, he's always been – I mean, because I had – you know, I got a look at him when I was covering Boston College when he was the Boston College offensive line coach, and – He was in a position where, you know, he had to do more with less, you know, sometimes Boston College is recruiting, you know, lower ranked guys and he had to coach them up and he did a pretty damn good job of doing so. So the coaching chops are definitely there. I think that's something that guys in the portal specifically see, because we always talk about, you know, we've said it a bunch this offseason, the priorities are different when you're a portal recruit, as opposed to a high school recruit, you know, when you're a portal guy, you're really zoned in on which offensive line coach is the best fit for you, which offensive line coach can help you get to the next level and which offensive line coach, you know, really has experience totally, you know, tooling up a guy with your specific skill set. And I think guys can look at Phil Troutwein and what he has accomplished, you know, recently and throughout his career as an offensive line coach and say, Hey, look, if I go to that guy, he could get me to where I need to be. He could potentially get me to the next level. He could be get me to be a high level performer in the Big Ten. So I think that is, you know, some of the feedback that we received regarding his status and how he's perceived by prospects with the portal. I think Penn State's offensive line recruiting has been in a pretty good place recently. And he's obviously a huge reason why. Frank Leonard deserves some credit for that as well. You know, those two work really, really well together. It's a good dynamic there between those two
0: been a tremendous addition for James Franklin I saw I know aside from someone that he he really personally you know counts on in his day-to day and Frank Leonard uh, James Franklin really found someone that Phil Troutwine has meshed so well with and they had history of course it wasn't like trying to put two pieces together yeah. that didn't have any history or track record but we've seen it on the, the camp field uh, with, with Penn State players dealing with we've seen it with Penn State prospects and, and their kind of interaction with those two. Just play well so well off of each other i'm um, looking over at wide receiver because beyond the offensive tackle spot this has of course been the priority position that you and i have previewed and, and kind of worked our way through the process with and The latest part of that process for us on the podcast was last Friday. Julian Fleming was a a, a name of of conversation there. So was Donovan McCauley out of Indiana. Uh, And also Andre Green, the North Carolina transfer. Another name that popped up was Jalen Lucas on campus. So I don't know where you want to start, but I know probably most of our listeners would prefer with Fleming. So what's the latest on his search for for the second college fit in his career and, and in a fifth year at the college level and Penn State's role in that?
4: I mean, Penn State's still very much in that race, you know, as it has been really since he hit the portal. He's going to be heading to Nebraska for a visit, you know, so that's, a, uh, that's another opportunity he's going to explore. The potential for a reunion with Kyle McCord down in Lincoln is on the table. You know, Kentucky is still kind of being tossed around a little bit. I heard of a visit's going to happen there. It would probably happen this week. I think that, you know, once that Nebraska visit plays out, assuming it does indeed play out, you know, our Chris Homer did a great job, reporting that over the week and that he was going to be making it to Nebraska for that visit. And, you know, sometimes plans change and he doesn't make it, but I do believe he's going to be down there. So let's
0: put it it out there. It's it's supposed to be a Tuesday visit. Yeah. We're recording recording at 1 30 PM Eastern time on a Tuesday. So things may be in flux a little bit, but it's interesting to see the quarterback wide receiver tandem there. You know, a couple guys who are from the same region certainly have shared ups and downs together in Columbus. Now poking their head into the same campus within a, 24-hour span that's that's interesting stuff
4: yeah it's definitely notable and I mean Nebraska just has a lot of buzz overall on the recruiting show right now between with everything going on with Dylan all the top-ranked quarterback in the 2024 class Huskers have a chance to flip him so they have a lot going in their favor down there right now but it, I mean there's still we continue to hear really what we've been saying you know there are still people close to Fleming who would prefer he uses his final year of eligibility to return home to Pennsylvania and play at Penn State I think he still has a high level of interest in Penn state and I think he has a high level of interest in Nebraska. So I feel like you, I think you really just said it best, you know, it's kind of in flux right now because you want to see how this visit plays out. You know, it's kind of difficult to speculate where things are, you know, on the right before a visit is about to start. Cause you don't know what's going to happen while he's in town there, but really just, I mean, from what we've heard, you know, it's been consistent with Fleming's level of interest in Penn state and Penn State's level of interest, in Fleming. So I, we're just got to see how that Nebraska visit plays out. Well, Penn State is still very much in the picture. you know. It, it hasn't faded in the slightest or anything like that. And
0: I think if you're if you're Penn State and you want Fleming, you want him all in and you don't want Fleming mm-hmm. maybe feel like he shortchanged himself. And th- you want if, if he needs to go see another school, go exactly. do it. It's his last chance. He's got one year to maximize this and kind of validate a lot of that five-star buzz that followed him out of high school here in the state of Pennsylvania. And certainly in that wide receiver room in Ohio State, it's a different beast. But if he can separate himself at a different school here, as a fifth-year senior, it could really jump his stock in, at, for the next level, and you'd understand why he wants to make sure he gets this decision right. But Penn State's not going to wait around here. They, they need to get things done at wide receiver. Their position coach wants to add new pieces. They got an offensive coordinator on campus now, and Andy Kodelmickey who wants to get to work putting together his vision with pieces that can accomplish it. So let's go with the two guys who are on campus here this past weekend, the first of which we discussed a bit last Friday because it was confirmed. Andre Green uh, spent his first couple of college seasons at North Carolina, did not get much in the way of game work along the way. Where is he with his process and what did Penn State gain from this past weekend?
4: He's still going to make it into Virginia for an official visit this upcoming weekend, but Penn State feels pretty good. About what it accomplished with Green while he was on campus for his official visit. I mean, he spoke glowingly of the Penn State. R. Brian Don got the chance to catch up with him. And he had praise from multiple members of the staff, James Franklin, Andy Kodalniki, Marcus Hagan. So there was a lot to like from that perspective for him. It seems like he's very comfortable with Penn State as a school. It seems like he's comfortable with the facilities in the campus. So that's a plus. And there's been a lot of optimism coming from the Penn State side. So he is still gonna go on to Virginia. And Virginia has prioritized Green heavily. You know, really the moment he hit the portal, I touched on it last week, that Tony Elliott was in home to check in with him and make that visit. So that kind of speaks to where he's at on Virginia's transfer portal board. So that's going to be an an interesting official visit playing out. There are other programs involved as well. You know, Florida, Tennessee, pair of SEC programs. Wisconsin's involved as well. So this one's not done, but there's been plenty of optimism, especially from the Penn State side, coming out of his visit. And, you know, Green, he wasn't productive at North Carolina, you know, we only had five catches for forty-three yards and a touchdown in two years with the Tar Heels. And you know, the production might not be there, but Penn State, State feels the upside is—you know, he's he's athletic. He's got a big, he's got an impressive frame. He's you know a bigger body on the outside, so I think that's the point of intrigue. And it's kind of like what we just said when it comes to offensive line. You know, given the fact that Penn State is in a position to add multiple receivers in the portal this offseason, season, you know, maybe you could take a gamble. On a guy like Green, who still has you know a little bit of developing to do, might still be a little bit raw. You know, not every guy you go out and get has to be an instant impact guy. Does Penn State need one of those guys that were wide receiver? Yeah, probably. You know, that's kind of where a guy like Fleming comes in. That's where more of a Donovan McCulley or Jamari Macklin comes in. You know, players of those who have a little bit more experience and track record of production under their belt. But there is room for a guy like Green, who you know is still he has the tools. And the staff feels he could be developed with Marcus Higgins. But overall, overall sentiment is there's positivity coming out of that visit.
0: Yeah, Green's uh, just two years removed from being prospect number 102 in the top 24-7 for that 2022 class. So a big-time blue shipper coming in. North Carolina had a lot of production from that passing game. He was not a part of it, but Penn State certainly seen something going back a couple of years and then uh, now updating it, its outlook toward Green that they believe it can maybe help them out. And so Green one to monitor moving forward. As we said, Jalen Lucas was one of the two offensive players from the 2023 Indiana Hoosier squad that picked up early Penn State offers in the portal. The other Donovan McCauley Lucas, we've described not so much just as a put him in that receiver column. It's been more of a Jack of all trades, special teams returner. He can do, uh, he can line up in a few different areas for you. And one thing we said about Andy Kotelnicki, he wants to maximize his personnel and play to the strengths. And Lucas seems to be a guy who has some versatility in those strengths. So what did he make of this visit popping up during the weekend? And, Penn State's pursuit of Lucas, who's also been a pretty popular target.
4: You know, I think uh, obviously Penn State pushed to get him on campus for this, visit, and it did so for any other program. So that's a plus. I think, you know, he's in a little bit di- more of a different situation than kind of some of the other portal pursuits, given who he is as a player and you know his potential utilization at Penn State. He's one of those you know Swiss Army knife guys who can move around in your scheme. He you can on up at running back and catch passes out of the backfield. Really he can play in the slot and you motion them off for Jeff Sweeps, You get him the ball underneath. You get him the ball in space. Let him make plays. So there's you know potential there for a really nice weapon in Andrew Niki's system, then obviously what he brings as a kick returner. I mean, he was an All-American kick returner in 2022. He's one of those guys who was just downright explosive with the ball in his hands. You know, we've heard the visit went well, but it doesn't seem like he's really in a rush to get things done. I think he's going to get out, see some other schools. But I think Penn State's doing well with Lucas right now. Again, they pushed him to get him on campus this weekend first before anyone else for a reason that came to fruition. Seems like things went well there. But again, his situation is just a little bit different in terms of, you know, prioritization and just cause he doesn't have necessarily a true position. You know, he's one of those guys you can move around. There's a lot of value in that in Penn state's new offense, but, you know, Penn state's still figuring things out at certain positions. So Lucas is the guy who's going to, he's going to remain in the conversation. We're going to have to see which other schools that he checks out as well.
0: Anything new on Macaulay considering, you know, he's a guy who has flashed that, 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 that big play potential with, with, you know, in big 10 games against Penn state, is he somebody that, that, Remains on that radar, or does day by day go by, and the more it doesn't work its way toward Penn State, you have to assume it's working away, it's way away from Penn State.
4: Oh, he's definitely remains on that radar, and the staff's going to keep working to get him back or not back. Well, yeah, technically back since he played in state college this year, so we we would be getting him back to town for a visit. And you know, last week on Friday when we talked about him, you know, really all I had been hearing was Michigan buzz. He made it to Kentucky. For a visit over the weekend, so that's a point of intrigue in that recruitment. But I did some asking around on him over the weekend. They still heard plenty of Michigan, but I had one source, a good source, tell me that you know Penn State's up there on McCauley's list as well. So the potential for a visit definitely remains in place. And you know, when it comes to instant impact guys, potential instant impact guys for twenty twenty four, and guys with proven track records at the Power Five level, I mean, McCauley might be the top guy on Penn State's portal board at wide receiver. You know, there's really a lot to like with him. The production at Indiana was there this past season. The athleticism is there. The size is there. I mean, 6'5", 200. You're talking about Penn State's having a type and, you know, having a desire for big bodies on the outside. That's what Donovan McCauley is. Staff really, really likes him. They're going to continue to work on getting that visit in place. And that's a a key point in this recruitment because, yeah, we could hear that he likes Penn State and likes, you know, the offense and what the staff might have to offer. But until he gets to campus for a visit – we can't really gauge that. You know, you got to see how that visit plays out. So getting him to town, it's going to be paramount in this situation for Penn State. Is
0: it, am I talking out of turn to suggest that Penn State could conceivably think about adding three transfer receivers? Is is that just too much to ask? I know we have other movement to take place here on campus. Christian Driver is the only name in the portal from the current uh, wide receiver unit here at Penn State. But we're mentioning a lot of names. We talked about some of the versatility that Lucas brings beyond the wide receiver position. Is two the number? Is three a possibility?
4: I guess three is a possibility based on, you know, other attrition at the position. You know, we're going to have to see what happens, you know, coming out of the Peach Bowl. If, you know, whoever decides to leave, you know, we're just going to have to see what happens on that front. There's going to be a second wave of portal guys, as there always is. So you have to see what pops up on that front. Yeah, I've heard multiple additions at wide receiver throughout the offseason, so we're really just going to have to see whether that's two or three. You know, We're going to have to see what comes about, but Penn State's involved with a bunch of high-quality wideouts, guys who I think can help the room in 2024, and obviously Penn State wants to get more explosive at the position, and I don't think they're going to say no to guys who they think can help them accomplish that.
0: Yeah, a lot lot more to learn about this receiver room. We're still waiting to see if if Harrison Wallace is going to reappear for for a little late-season action. Keandre Lambert-Smith has that COVID eligibility in play, and then a bunch of younger components within this roster that we're just not sure – what to make of, of their future here in Happy Valley. Uh, that'll all get figured out in the next month. A lot more will get figured out in the transfer portal. Tyler Calvaruso, we appreciate your perspective on it. We had some recruiting stuff we might get to, but I think we, we can leave it here. We, we did a lot more on the transfer portal today than, than I anticipated. I think it was for good reason. So thank you for that and plenty of coverage for our VIP subscribers yeah. at our Lions247.com.
4: A lot more to come. Appreciate you having me back on, man.
0: We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Passion Let's shift gears and look toward the current Penn State program. They got a lot coming their way to campus in the form of January enrollees. But before then, they've got something they're looking to accomplish and picking up an 11th win that would lock them in as a top 10 team here in 2023. December 30th down in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl against number 11 Ole Miss and bringing Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan now to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I was alongside these guys Early Monday morning, I think it's the earliest press conference I've attended at Beaver Stadium. We had a 9 a.m. session with James Franklin, Pat Kraft, the athletic director here at Penn State, and then the president of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. So a lot to to work our way through from 30 minutes. Plenty of it was you know, build up for for the game itself, and I don't think we necessarily need to touch on that. Uh, But, Mark, at, at the forefront of it, I just felt like the relationship between Pat Kraft and James Franklin was out there on public display uh, for all of us to kind of soak in. We shared the room with those two. And I was feeling the love between Franklin and Kraft up there.
2: Yeah, I mean, when when Kraft said he's the best coach in college football, I'm paraphrasing, I forget exactly what the, what the words were, but that was the essence of, of what he was saying. Um, you know, I think that tells you everything that you need to know, but I also think you hit on something else. It's the relationship. I mean, you could tell the way what I like is, you know, I I think you, you truly like somebody when you can bust their, you know, what, you know what I mean? And between those two guys, uh, they could get after one another in a good natured way. You know, Franklin, Franklin, I thought it was pretty funny because we've seen craft on the sideline at games and Franklin joking. I think he was joking. I have to go back and look. That he was uh, flagged five times <laughs> for going on the field at Temple in BC, that was pretty good. I, you know, and I'm I'm anxious to see James like at a camp or something where I could say, did did you just ad lib that? Because that was a really good line. And then, you know, Kraft saying, how come nobody's putting my name in for for DC? But you know, on a, I, I thought uh, uh, Seth Engel asked asked a really good question. Uh, you know, he 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 phrased it as the uh we talked about it the alignment the last week or a couple weeks ago i forget exactly when we said it but you know james has talked over and over this year about the alignment and all the joking aside i think you could see that there where they're kind of on the same page and Kraft essentially said and again i'm paraphrasing uh that he wants to give his head coaches whether it's football whatever the tools they need to succeed And I I, I don't think we have to read too far between the lines to, to, to think that Franklin didn't believe he had that before this regime, before this AD, before this president. So while there was some joking in there, I think there was also some seriousness in that they're going to do whatever it takes to compete at that level. And I mentioned it before, you know, James is now in a situation where he's getting what he wants. And now it's time to see that translate onto the field, you know, not necessarily in this particular game, but moving forward and to prove that you are one of the better teams in the nation.
0: Daniel, if I recall correctly, your first assignment with us here at Lions 24-7 uh, was uh, Pat Kraft's introductory press conference. And a year and a half later, there he is. Uh, With, you know, no offense to anyone else, but his most important head coach for financial reasons in in the entire department, James Franklin. They just went big game hunting and they found themselves a a very much lauded offensive coordinator and Andy Kotelnicki. Now they're out looking for their next defensive coordinator. Maybe that's internal. External options are on the table as well, as James Franklin referenced. What did you kind of take away from seeing those two guys? As James Franklin mentioned, (laughs) throwing some jabs at each other, but ultimately kind of putting that alignment on the table quite literally as we were breaking down the Peach Bowl and a lot more.
5: It was a little bit of a a different setting than I think we experience either of them. Um, And and we're not around either of them in that sort of setting together a lot of the times. But Monday morning was a lot more, I think, ceremonial um, in terms of something that is really meant to be an an information gathering uh, session. I think that we have our Bowl Media Day later this week. So I think we'll circle back to uh, some questions and and Franklin, I think to a question about how they're handling some defensive coordinator stuff said that he can get into that more when we meet again later. Um, hopefully that means we'll, we'll get more on Friday. Um, but I think that it was something a, a little bit different um, to, to see both of them. And I, I thought that it was, it was just kind of funny um, to see them, you know, start to, to go after each other, you know, be funny, make make fun of each other to a certain extent, um, because so often the, the settings are, are very serious. And, you know, when we talk to Pat Kraft, uh, it's a couple times a year, and it's these sort of big picture things about um, how's NIL, what are the Beaver Stadium renovations, you know, questions that cover millions hundreds of millions of dollars um, you know when you really get down to it um, but to kind of see them in that environment talking about the peach bowl um, it was it was pretty it was fun it's it's always nice to see a, a different side of um, of these people especially someone like craft who we only really see on the sideline in passing in these couple of, of immediate uh, environments uh, every year so it was kind of kind of goofy kind of fun and yeah, you know, some of us got a, a good Chick Fil A uh, breakfast out of it.
0: That's right, Na- and and naturally, the the first question that came from uh, the media, and it came from our Mark Brennan, shifted over to that defensive coordinator situation, um, framing it within the context, you know, the context of a Peach Bowl press conference and. <laughs> Uh, you know, playing along those lines, you know, at least what does it mean in the immediacy as they prepare for a matchup against one of the better offenses out of the SEC, which is, you know, now about two and a half, less than three weeks away from this matchup. Uh, Daniel, you had the story up for us at lines247.com about the, about as much as we got from Franklin in this setting about the coaching search, but more about how their approach is uh, getting ready for the rebels.
5: Yeah. And it's in terms of the the peach bowl, it's pretty similar to kind of, what we heard from James Franklin after they fired Mike Yersich, where um, yesterday he said that they're going to handle things internally. And we didn't get much more than that. We didn't get the, the official like Anthony Poindexter will be the interim defensive coordinator or something like that. So maybe we'll get a little bit more clarity on that uh, later this week. But he said that overall they'll handle the defense kind of like how they handled the offense Um, I think that that means a lot of collaboration, moving some different pieces around, putting some people in different roles, Um, they're going to have an an extra headset to fill, um, all of those those sorts of things. So I think maybe Friday, we can get a little bit more clarity from James Franklin, I'm sure, once we get down to Atlanta, we can get even more uh, in terms of how things are going in terms of the preparation for the Peach Bowl. Um, but James Franklin also talked about the, the vacancy overall, and he called it an attractive opening. Um, didn't really get into it too much, but he made sure to, to point out that the last two the last two coaches that have held that job have moved on uh, to become head coaches somewhere. Um, and I think that that's something, too, that that feeds into why there should and, and could be a lot of interest uh, in in this spot.
0: He also talked about history uh, at the defensive coordinator position, and I thought he was going to he, he did eventually get there. Penn State's history on the defensive side of the football and obviously the legendary figures they've had there. But he was talking about his run as a head coach 13 years now. And you go back to Vanderbilt and he referenced three different defensive coordinators. Uh, have achieved top 10 defenses under his watch. And we saw Brett Pry have some consistency, certainly uh, more recently Manny Diaz with, with an elite showing here in 2023. Uh, but it is a, a position that, that considering what they are going to be willing, what we gathered to offer up financially um, and in what they're offering up from a personnel standpoint, there's not a lot of locker rooms that you're going to walk into as a defensive coordinator and get those keys and all of a sudden have, these kind of players at your disposal, you know, even with some of the talent they're losing on that subject, Mark Brennan, we've got opt-outs underway across college football. We've got one impacting Penn state that we addressed last week in chop Robinson uh, finishing off his college career and, and turning his focus to the 2024 NFL draft. And by the way, he continues to show up uh, on first round projections. So you know, it seems like a validated choice there, but one of those, uh, op- not opt-outs, but one of those announcements here in December, that kept the guy in play for the Peach Bowl was Theo Johnson. It came on Friday. He put it out there that, that he's going to be going to the 2024 NFL draft, chasing those dreams. But he wants to play in the Peach Bowl with his teammates. And I'm paraphrasing his message, but this is exactly what we heard from several players last year, Mark, leading up to the Rose Bowl. Another New Year's Six matchup. And we were wondering what kind of vibes would we would get? Those vibes are 2021 Outback Bowl vibes, when everyone was like, peace out, good luck, I'm going to go focus on myself, it is what it is. And you understand that not all teams are going to be the same, but I thought Theo Johnson's announcement maybe could be a trendsetter. And if it is, that bodes very well for a matchup that's going to be a spotlight opportunity for this team in a few weeks.
2: Yeah, as we record this on Tuesday, we want to put the disclaimer in because the last (laughs) thing we want to happen is – but you know what I would would tell you guys is that I think outside of Olu – I think everybody's got still has things that they can prove and still has areas where they could could improve. I mean, uh, you know, Chop, I think, is going to be uh, has a really good chance of being a first rounder. I'm not sure how much more he was going to prove, but Kalen King preseason, everybody thought he was going to be a, a surefire first rounder. And, you know, in the biggest game, he didn't play his biggest game. So this is one more chance if he decides to play to go out and show uh, what he can do. But everybody else, you know, you've drawn a very good SEC team and it looks like it's going to be an SEC team that has most of its players as well. So, you know, when Franklin said, uh, there is an opportunity for these players to show value. He's right. I mean, this is, had they drawn Liberty? I, I don't know how many of these guys would have decided to stay and I also, I keep going back to this and, and, and I can't get definitive answers and it's something that maybe we can get at media day, but I wonder how many of these guys have some sort of bowl participation built into their NIL deals, because I know some of them, some of them do. I don't know exactly who, but I know that they're in play. I've been told that they're in play. Um, now what does bowl participation mean? You know, show up, you know, whatever. But I also think it was interesting that, that, um, Franklin talked about Saquon Barkley and the way they handled him in the Fiesta Bowl where they obviously limited what he did in practice and um, were able to kind of take it easy on him in that game. Now it helps when you had Miles Sanders as his understudy. And I think everybody in the program realized how good he was and it wasn't going to be, you know, falling off a cliff. But I think all those things are in play. And I really do believe that when you look at these guys who are draft eligible, Or who may declare for the draft. You know, I just think they still have things that they can prove. And I think this is going to be a good stage on which to prove it, you know, another NFL stadium, you know, this, from what every, everybody has told us, including Gary Stoken, the, the, the CEO, this is one of the best bowl experiences for players. Hopefully it's one of the best for the media too, in a selfish way. Uh, But I think there's all that in play. And then, you know, going back to, yeah, it's great, you know, for, for the team vibe and leadership and all that stuff. But I think these guys are all practical enough to realize that if it's not going to benefit them, and that's completely understandable. I'm not saying this in a negative way. I think if they can get something out of it, why not go and do it? And I think most of these guys can.
0: And I think it's worth noting here that Ole Miss's perspective seems to be that this is their third biggest opponent of the season behind Georgia and Alabama. And I think Penn State's consensus perspective is really this is the third biggest opponent of the season behind uh, Michigan and Ohio State. And both of those teams lost those games you know, Iowa deserve a ton of respect defensively, but they showed up to Beaver Stadium with half of a team, essentially, for that matchup. So I, I think Ole Miss, is, 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 and, and if they avoid a rash of opt-outs, it seems like they will, they're going to be more game for, for, for a matchup here. And so I think there, there's something to be gained overall. And for the players, I mean, Kalen King's a great example, a guy who fin- finished as a second-team all-conference pick. You know, preseason, you're talking about, you know, defensive back of the year in the conference with a guy like Kaelin King and across the board though, Daniel, I mean, you think about Olu Fashanu being the guy who could step away right now. He could have stepped away last year and, and and people would understand why, but the closer we get to this thing and we don't hear from Olu, it's going to lead you to wonder that or to anticipate, especially if we see him at practice on Friday as the, you know, the first team left tackle and going through the normal stuff we see on the practice field that it is trending towards a, a Saquon Barkley situation. He was the James Franklin made the joke. Uh, he was a potential number one draft pick when when he was getting ready for the bowl, and he slid all the way to number two in that draft to the New York Giants. And in that matchup, uh, after a, an adjusted practice period for the postseason that that suited Barkley well, um, eighteen carries, one hundred and thirty-seven yards. He had a ninety-two-yard touchdown against Washington. I don't know if if he doesn't play in that game, if he falls to three, four, five, six. I have no idea but there is something to be gained here. Ole Miss, one of the strengths of their team is their edge-rushing uh, trio. Um, you know, I don't know if, Ole, uh, if, if Olo needs help going from uh, number eight in the draft to number four in the draft, but there's opportunities out there, and I think it probably more impacts a lot of these players like a Johnny Dixon, uh, like a Curtis Jacobs, like a Theo Johnson, who right now you're just not quite sure what their draft pro- profile is, and it's going to be, learned as we put the pieces together between now and the combine and stuff. But Daniel, who are you looking at among maybe the, that James Franklin's referencing there and saying there's value here for guys
5: before they totally turn the page? Well, first of all, you talk about guys making their decisions and when they're going to do it. I, I think we have to applaud Theo and, and Chop for making their announcements during normal business hours, uh, which is something that we, we haven't always seen. But um I, I think that the way that things are, the fact that it's been so quiet, I think it'll be similar to last year, where it was like those those three or four days before the the bowl the bowl game and you know, right before they went out there that guys started to, to officially make those decisions. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But you know, I, I do think that there are guys that, that can benefit from this. Um, I, I think James Franklin bringing up Saquon Barkley um, is probably very a little calculated by him. I think no. that on on the one hand, it's you know, he shows you that they'll take care of you and they'll look out for you but on the other hand it's hey if playing in a bowl game is good enough for Saquon Barkley it's probably good enough for you um, I I think that might be some of the subtext there um, but I, you, you talk about Kalen King and, and Johnny Dixon I mean um, uh, Ole Miss's top wide receiver Trey Harris announced he's coming back to the team next year so he'll be playing he averaged more than 18 yards a catch this year for the Rebels I think he had a big game against Texas A&M with 11 catches for more than 200 yards. So uh, there's going to be talent out there, and there's going to be some one-on-one matchups for someone like Kalen King um, to to really go out and, and prove himself. But I, I think that when you talk about this this Penn State team and the draft class, it's you know there is there is an elite player like Olu. You know, Chop Robinson, I think, falls into that elite. Um, prospect category too with with where he's projected to go. But I think they have a lot of guys who are sort of in that maybe day, late day three, uh, or not late day three, late day two, early day three, where if you come out and you put your best foot forward and you, you know, really put it together in the bowl game and springboard it into the draft process, you can go from maybe late in the third round to late in the second round. You can go off of day three on the day two. Um, I think that Penn state um, there's a ton of draft prospects on this team, but they're all in that kind of very solid category. Like Johnny Dixon, Adisa, Isaac, Theo Johnson, um, Hunter Norzad. Those are the guys that kind of strike me as very, you know, Curtis Jacobs too, as, as very solid. They have NFL futures, um, but, you know, maybe they might have to wait a little bit. Um, But someone like Adisa, he's played his way, I think, really, like, further up draft boards. I think CBS Sports has him as their number 108 prospect, um, number 13 edge. That's a premium position. You know, he can potentially make himself some money. Um, I think that there's a lot of these guys that can use this, you know, this is going to be their final opportunity to put game tape together. Um, you know, if they do decide to leave and I think that they can really, really use things, uh, in the, you know, use this as a springboard into the draft process. So I, I do think there is some value into it. I mean, some of that is also James Franklin's spin because he wants to win. Um, and you know, he's, you know, he's not worried about, the draft process for himself. Um, you know, he wants that 11th win. He wants that beach Bowl. He wants a springboard into the off season um, with a victory. Um, but I think that for a lot of these guys, that there is a good opportunity. And I think that Franklin has kind of shown these past couple of years that if you come, if you play, um, they'll take care of you and and they'll make things work for you.
0: Three guys came to mind from last year's December process and and what they did in the Rose Bowl, where they went in the draft. Jair Brown. Uh, who told us last year at the Bull media day? Which I, I think maybe Friday we'll, we'll get some answers from guys when we ask them directly about their plans for the bowl. And and you know if they're showing up the Bull media day, it's a good indication that they're going to be ready to roll. But I remember Jair Brown being like, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm in," and and, and then Brenton Strange and, and these were guys who were announcing like, you know, Juice Scruggs. They were announcing, "I'm not I'm not in for 2024, but I'm in for the bowl game." And they went out, they all played well, and they all ended up in the second round, I think, uh, in the NFL draft this past spring. Um, So those guys kind of came to mind here. Uh, Another answer that we got for 2024 and 2025, as it just so happens, Riley Thompson is staying in the fold for Penn State. And this is a huge deal because... Uh, You know, everything that we understood going into the season was that he was down to his last year of eligibility, despite last year being his first year um, in college football at Florida Atlantic, where he was really impressive uh, as a quote-unquote freshman. Uh, He did have a history internationally, Australian rules football. Uh, You know, it's it's an international journey to get to this point. And so we didn't really... sends a lot of optimism from Penn State's end, put it that way, that he was going to be able to stick around as their punter in 2024. That changed as the season wore on, and now, as it turns out, we learn he's good for 2024 and 2025, and he was, in fact, a freshman last year in the eyes of the NCAA. So sophomore Riley Thompson, no longer senior Riley Thompson, was your pick, Mark, as special teams MVP, and you had the first pick in the postseason, and he's got the numbers to back them up. If you don't have them in front of you, I can read some of them off. I do. Okay, well, I'll I'll pass the baton to you because this is a significant deal for the 2024 Penn State team.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, one of the reasons I went with him is because I felt terrible because he, he picked a wrong year to have a great year as a punter in the Big Ten. I mean, you know, uh, Tory Taylor, the, the Ray Guy Award winner, you, you can't – I mean, he should have been first team, obviously. And then the guy from Michigan State and the guy from Indiana, I think both actually had – better overall numbers i'm not sure why the guy from michigan edged him out on one of the teams that didn't make sense to me but uh, you know i i was under the impression that he could be done and if he were done his 45.4 yard average would be the second best in school history i mean that's incredible that it for a career you know we were thinking it was going to be a one-year career and now that it's spread out but 13 50 yards or longer 16 down inside to 20 and a total of 85 return yards with none longer than 15, 4.7 yards per return. I mean, he was gigantic and you pair him with that defense and, you know, I had to take another shot at them, you know, for what they did in that Ohio state game by not having him punt, you know, in in the fourth quarter in, in going for it on that ridiculous fourth and whatever it was. But, yeah, I mean, this guy is a weapon. And, you know, when we heard that Baquetta was entering the transfer portal, I think some some lights went off. And it's like, okay, well, because, you know, you would think that he was probably um, – he, he had a very good shot of being a guy. And, and to be a, a scholarship punter, to walk away from that, I mean, that's big. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, I, I, I don't know that he's surfaced yet, but – do you think it's a guarantee that that kid's going to get a scholarship somewhere? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean yeah, th- that's a good part of it, but I'd be to be
0: realistic. It wasn't like he was waiting in the wings. He wasn't He wasn't standing as the understudy at every game. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't on the road. He, he Five of the Penn State games this year, he wasn't even on the sideline. But the
2: what I would say is that they also had Gabe Nwosu, who they were taking, who, who's perfectly capable of being a backup punter, and he's your primary kickoff guy. So those, those were – I would have been interested to see if there were a situation – I wouldn't have been interested to see. I didn't want to see it. That if Riley Thompson got banged up, I wonder what would have happened. Let's put it that way. You guys know me. I never want to see anybody get, get hurt. But if Riley Thompson had been hurt, I wonder what would have happened. But my overall point is when you see somebody walk away from a scholarship, I wonder if he knew at that point. And I think one of the good questions here is does this – was Riley Thompson on scholarship? Did do? I mean, we have to figure that out if he's going to be on scholarship at this point.
0: I believe our, our understanding was that he was on scholarship this okay. year, uh, whereas so. Alex Falcons was not. Right, uh, right, okay. Knew- one, com- one coming from the uh, FBS level, one coming from a- outside of it. Um, but, yeah, our understanding was on scholarship. He'll stay that way, certainly. Um, unfortunately, yeah. there, there is no more eligibility to squeeze out of the frame of Alex Falcons who – is moving on after the Peach Bowl.
2: Yeah, but uh, g- overall, I mean, I just think this is – I don't think you could understate how big this is for Penn State. You know, given – you know, we'll see who their defensive coordinator is, but this is just another tool that they're going to have in that field position battle that that they were so good at most of the time all year. You go back to 2016, Blake
0: Gillikin's freshman year, That's a lot of high-level punting that that Penn State has experienced and backing up what has been consistently – an above average defense and and, and more so lately a great to elite defense here in happy Valley. So when you've got that 12th man contributing as as the punter role uh, that that can really back you up. And it seems like Riley Thompson is going to be the player to do it in 2024. And if he chooses to do it in 2025, so cross that off the list of concerns. And I know there are are plenty out there for Nittany Lions fans as they want to see this team assemble a college football playoff contender for 2024, but they've got a punter in place right now uh focusing on some players who are less obvious to be monitored here in the in the postseason there's a few extra weeks of practice and we always discuss the importance of trying to get to six wins for some of those struggling programs out there it's not so much just to try to get to to finish the season at 500 and to get to play in a bowl game it's that you buy an extra month of cultivating your chemistry and cultivating the younger members of your roster and that goes for even a 10-win team like penn state We just discussed a lot of the guys who are going to be moving on or may be moving on. There are going to be holes to fill on this team when they return to the field for spring ball in 2024. And part of that plays into what we're discussing right now, players to monitor on the practice field. We're going to go offense and we'll finish on defense. Uh, We should get looks at this team, a few of them in practice action starting this Friday and continuing all the way down to Atlanta. Um, But we're not going to see a ton of it. So much of this will be development that occurs behind the scenes and it might not come to fruition come Peach Bowl. But Mark, Daniel, and and we'll begin here with Daniel on his first offensive pick. When it comes to guys that you think stand to gain a lot, maybe set themselves up for something next year, here in the month of December, where does your head go?
5: I went with Andrew Rappelier, the the freshman tight end, who we saw a little bit of over the course of the season. We already know Theo Johnson isn't going to be back next year. We're still waiting to hear what Tyler Warren's um statuses but even if Warren were to come back I think that Rappelier would be in a good position to compete with Khalil Dinkins to be that number two tight end and uh, we'll have to wait and see how Andy Nikki is going to do things but we've seen Penn State's willingness uh under James Franklin to play a lot of tight ends in different situations so I, I think that Rappelier is in a position to really take advantage of these practices um get a little bit of an increased workload, maybe get away from some of the scout team stuff that he was doing this season for a little bit and put himself in position to kind of springboard um, into next year. There's going to be snaps available at tight end with Theo Johnson leaving. Um, And I think that Andrew Rappelier is someone that, um, you know, people are excited about. We've heard a lot of good things about him from Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. Um, And I, I think that he's the type of guy that, Next year could come in as a redshirt freshman, um, have a big role, and really add a, a different or help replace um, that kind of physical, big-bodied receiver dimension uh, that Theo Johnson was this year.
2: Mark, where does your focus go offensively? I'm going to Drew Shelton. You know, kind kind of similar that you you know a guys going to go in the NFL draft and you know who's next man up. And you know, I, I wonder, I'd like to talk to Drew because, and I, hopefully we get an opportunity to, opportunity to at some point, because I think th- there were games where, you know, we barely saw him at all. There were games where he, where he played quite a bit, but I just think they're going to need him to step up as just a consistent, you know, one of those mainstays at offensive tackle. I mean, we still have to wait to see what Caden Wallace is going to do. I mean, he indicated that, he wasn't positive how he was going to handle things, but regardless of what he does, I'll go out on a limb and say, Olu's going to declare for the draft. And uh, I think drew Shelton uh, just to to keep an eye on him. And then a couple of the other younger offensive linemen that I would throw in there are Jevin Williams and uh, Donka. I mean, both of those guys, I think have an opportunity to step up into bigger roles next year. And during the course of the season, we just didn't see a whole heck of a lot of them because they wanted to redshirt those guys. So it's going it, to whatever o- opportunities we get at practice. I think uh, I'm going to be keeping my eyes on the O line as much as possible because I think you know starting with Shelton and then some of those younger guys. Let's see kind of where they are and you know how they're playing and you know let let's face it, if they do go with the Saquon um, you know game plan for the bowl game, that that's going to mean that if Olu d- ops decides to play, opts in, I guess you would call it. The, he's probably not going to be playing every snap, and that would be mean more opportunities for for Shelton and and maybe uh, Williams as kind of that third offensive tackle.
0: Javon Williams, Anthony Donka both got in late against Michigan State. That was the third matchup for, for each of them on the season. And then two games uh, went into the direction of Chimdi Ono, uh, who was a late riser in the last cycle. Really an impressive-looking guy out there as a freshman at the tackle spot. And because of what the numbers look like at tackle, and discussed this with Tyler Calvaruso because of the transfer portal pickup earlier think You can kind of cast the net into all those guys and, and also throw in the freshman Alex Birchmeyer because you know it's only been scout team work for him. We, you know, he's one of those guys that we're going to be really curious to get like the year one debriefing about a top 100 prospect that didn't see any game action this year while seemingly available. Um, so a lot to work with on the offensive line. I, I went over to receiver because we just have so many questions about that room. And Omari Evans, because of the way he finished the regular season, I think it's just a natural answer uh, for this question. I mean, he had, what uh, was it, a 88 uh, yards in, in the last couple of games. He had six yards or so in the in the, in the rest of the entire season. Uh, Omari Evans has flashed his ability uh, to go downfield the deep the, the toss to get with Drew Aller. He's went for 28 yards a week prior to that. So I just want to know if he can build off of this. It seems like so much of what James Franklin has said publicly about this change changed offensive coordinator and the way they've kind of maybe reevaluated their approach to certain positions and certain uh, you know, personnel decisions are the fact that, that Amari Evans is, is, is benefiting from it. So like a lot of those things, I'm reading. I'm thinking, well, Amari Evans, you know, it, it, are they simplifying the process for him? You know, again, he didn't play wide receiver. In, in, college, in high school, he shifted to that last year. He burned red shirt, and we thought he was due for a big year. But he's someone, I think, with this uh, December of work, with what he's already starting to build with Drew Aller, there's a lot to be gained there, especially as you've got Andy Kotelnicki here taking notes, observing things practice by practice. I think consistency is going to be what you strive for. So much of what everyone wants to see from Amari Evans is going to be big play in Atlanta against Ole Miss. To me, I think the defining theme for for whoever comes out of December feeling good about themselves in Marcus Hagan's room is going to be that they put together a few weeks of strong practice work under the eyes of their new offensive coordinator, under the eyes of their current wide receivers coach, and knowing that they're facing pressure because this staff is working to bring in replacement level players uh, to that receiver room. So Amari Evans is where I go. Let's head over to defense and, and begin with you, Mark. What player stands out to you here in the month of December?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm going with a little bit of a pattern here. So, uh, you know, I looked at that defensive end position. Chop Robinson's not going to be available. It would have been too easy to say deny Dennis Sutton, but w- we know about him. I mean, he was effectively uh, playing starters minutes, even though, uh, you know, he only really started when, uh, when, when Chop w- was injured. So I'm taking one step below that and going with Zariah Fisher, who I think had quietly had a really nice year for them. 15 tackles, 2.5 sacks, tackles for losses and a fumble recovery. And and in those games where Chop wasn't available, I thought he stepped up and did some good things. So uh, they're going to need more out of him next year. Uh, He he was banged up, what was it, a couple years ago and started – you know, looked better a little bit toward the end of last year. And now this year, I think he had a full season of D end under his belt and and just looks more natural at the position. So I'm looking at Zariah, and I would also keep an eye. And I hope I'm not seeing anybody else's on uh, Jameel Lyons at those positions as well. I like to throw out a couple people because, you know, when you look at uh, the trickle-down effect when a guy like Chop isn't going to be there, I think that could translate into more minutes for Jameel Lyons. And we look at that kid – and just big and physical and tough, and you know I think he has a gigantic upside. So both of those defensive ends, uh, I was tempted to say Smith Vilbert, but I don't think he's going to make a surprise showing in this ball game.
0: Yeah, I, I mean Jamil Lyons, great point on him. He, he was like came to mind for the second pick here uh, as as we were working through a player. So I'm glad you mentioned him. He does. He, he started off his you know his his career in pads in August with a big month that put him on that radar to burn redshirt this year, even in a very talented room. If he can finish 2023 with another big month, I think Deion Barnes is going to absolutely love what he got from year one for a guy who you know, didn't get to campus here un- until May, so uh, good stuff. Uh, I'm going to go with another one of those freshmen and 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 another one of those buzzy names that we heard back in preseason camp and even before then, Tony Rojas, that linebacker, because you're nearing a, a new reality in that linebacker room. You're already there in one way because the voice who has been so prevalent there is moved on to to Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Manny Diaz. This is a, a major piece of the comfort factor. To this point, uh, for Tony Rojas and for Tamir Robinson and for Kavion keys, the three freshman linebackers. This is who they were familiar with as the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach down the stretch of their recruitment on signing day when they came with their families and moved to campus and when they enjoyed, albeit as observers for the most part on defense, this elite season on that side of the football. And to this point, uh, Tony Rojas, I, I got the numbers right here he has played 102 total snaps on defense. And that's second among all freshmen in total snaps this year. Zion Tracy has 105. So we didn't see anyone get the kind of run, but you guys know it. I mean, whenever he was out there, you, you took notice of Rojas and you'll go back to the blue white game with that in April when he, he led all many lines and tackles out there and got some extended run. But, the maryland matchup you know he was out there for about a half quarter he forced uh, it forced two turnovers against the turps uh, he had a tackle for loss in each of the last couple games uh, he popped up in the delaware game with some run and uh, in the umass game and you know, looking like one of the best fly- players on the field during the final stretch of those matchups. So to me, it doesn't look like this is a, a game against Ole Miss where he's going to get extensive run. You've got Abdul Carter, who's a sophomore, uh, and, and you've got Kobe King, who's a redshirt sophomore. And so those guys are building their own careers up. And, and you've got Curtis Jacobs. You know, does, does he play fewer snaps? If he does, that's really going to impact Dom DeLuca, who's the primary backup there at Sam. So unless this turns into a blowout in favor of Penn State, you're probably going to see Rojas mainly on special teams. But I think because of how this shapes up with a new leader coming in at linebackers, coach and defensive coordinator, and what we're about to see turn the page defensively with some big time performers leaving to me, he can be a major component of this defense and what it can accomplish next September as a sophomore. And this is a bit of that proving ground as he kind of has to grow up and and, and deal with the, the not so lovely part of college football life, which is that your mentor. Is it guaranteed to be around really beyond your first year on campus? Daniel, what do you have for us on the defensive side of things?
5: I, I stayed in that linebacker room and I went a little bit, you know, deeper uh, down the depth chart. Um I went with KV on Keys. Um he's someone that I think we heard some good things about over the course of the season. Um, I think including from James Franklin, maybe. Um I can't quite remember. Yeah. Um he appeared he, in two- he went public, yeah. Yeah, he appeared in two games, uh, played seven snaps, um, and then when Penn State announced its end of season awards on Sunday, he was the developmental squad special teams player of the year, and he was one of two uh, developmental squad defensive players of the year. Uh, he shared that with Jake Wilson. Um, so I, I think that the, that's kind of a, a sign that you know how Penn State thinks of Keys, uh, especially behind the scenes, you know, the work that he's been putting in in practice, and. I think that if you do those things behind the scenes, you can kind of you can get your chances uh, on you know with with the varsity, um, I guess. You know, given how crowded this linebacker room is right now, um, and given that pretty much, as far as we know, everyone will be available uh, for the peach Bowl, It's hard to see too many avenues for playing time for kV on keys. But I think when you look at opportunities on special teams, um, the 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 staff not really having to worry about, Uh, saving that red shirt or something, you know, looking for opportunities to get him onto the field. Um, I think that he is someone who could have an opportunity. And I think beyond that, he's someone that, you know, is just going to benefit from this extra playing time. I think he's someone that is worth, you know, checking in with some of these player with some of the older players on both sides of the ball to get their impressions on what he's done this year, how he's come along. Um, but I, I think looking at things, it, it is a crowded position, um, but I think given what we've heard and kind of seen, um, I think that KV on keys is someone to keep an eye on over the course of this process. Um, and then overall, I mean, I was telling you guys when we were making these picks, there's so many different directions that you can go with this defense. And um, I think that you know, even if guys opt out, even if they have a full deck, um, there's going to be a lot of intriguing guys to, to get eyes on who could potentially make impacts. As you can tell, there's plenty to discuss this time here across college football. We'll keep doing that
0: at lines247.com. We'll be back with another episode of this podcast. And then on Friday, uh, which will be beyond the next episode of this podcast, make sure you check out lines247.com. Friday and into the weekend for our coverage of this Peach Bowl media day at Beaver Stadium. It's our first opportunity to hear from the new offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelniki. Perhaps we'll get some news on on what the plan is at defensive coordinator for the Peach Bowl if we find something out in the interim from James Franklin and company. And then we're expecting a dozen-plus players to be available uh, from the Penn State roster. And that's going to include some guys that we still have questions about when it comes to this bowl game and maybe 2024. And we might not get all the answers, but we'll try our hardest. We'll let you know what's going on at lines 247com Mark, Daniel, uh, we're gonna get to hoops next episode because they don't play until uh they don't play before uh Saturday, and they're coming off a big win, and they're at 10 games, and so just a bit of a teaser for the basketball portion of our, our listeners out there. We will talk basketball next time. Appreciate you both.
5: Cool. Thanks, thanks, Tyler.
0: All right, big thanks to Mark and Daniel and, of course, Tyler Calvaruso before them, who covers recruiting and the transfer portal for us at lines 247com We'll be back again with our second episode of the week on Thursday. As I said, we'll dive into a bit of hoops talk. We'll have more to talk about in the transfer portal, I believe, by then as well. And additionally, the recruiting trail continues towards signing period, which is next week. And we've got this Peach Bowl to gear up towards. Again, practice availability coming our way on Friday. It'll be our first look at this team in action since Black Friday victory over Michigan State. Stepping aside for now and getting back to work over at the site, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7
2: podcast. You ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Hang on! It's off-the-chart spectacular.